Not a matter of if, but when a crisis could rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real-world crisis or a multi-dimensional controversy. My Crisis Squad and I are here to find solutions. Crisis Squad member Dr. Abdul Omari joins me today. He is an inclusion, equity, and diversity thought leader and consultant. He's here to discuss a case file I call DEI Backlash. There are currently more than 30 bills nationwide aimed at restricting diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at public colleges and universities. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill June 14, 2023, banning DEI offices, programs, and training on public campuses altogether. Florida has a similar law. DEI critics argue the programs at best address a problem that is no longer an issue, or at worst, are themselves discriminatory. Abdul, what's going on here? Are DEI programs still needed? Yes, they are very much needed. I think when we even consider our own backyard in just the last eight months, we had a situation at one of our universities where students were saying they feel uncomfortable at the university because it is becoming more diverse, particularly white students saying that they didn't feel comfortable around folks who are more diverse or people of color. And so even in situations like that, that automatically suggests that, yes, we do need programs. We do need education. We need exposure. We need folks that are with and in relationship with folks that come from different backgrounds than they do. You know, we always tend to, when you and I talk, get into the power of language. Terminology is so important. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the reason I'm not a big fan of the term just as it stands diversity, because it seems to be something that says to a lot of people the color of your skin. But really, there's age There's physical ability. There's are you a veteran or a civilian? I mean, there are so many layers to diversity. So how do we really help everyone understand that these laws, these programs are really there to help everybody? First and foremost, to your point, right, there's something that a lot of folks will talk about, like dimensions of difference or the diversity wheel, for example, that will have a display and it'll tell you all the different ways that people are diverse. And actually, quite frankly, not all the different ways, right? But an example of how it is much more than simply the color of your skin or your gender. In addition to that, there's another good display that depicts an iceberg. And what's above the surface of the water are the things that if we are able to see, we can see. Automatic things that our mind kind of goes to when we think about diversity. And then below the water are, like you said, veteran or your level of cognitive ability and neurodiversity, Neurodiversity, things like that. What we need to be doing is really demystifying and bringing people to a point where it's less of you're wrong or you're in this group. So therefore, it's me against you. I'm getting something in a DEI program or what have you, and that's taken away from you. And to really say we are talking about much larger things in a bigger bucket of identifiers. Now, that doesn't mean that we should not be focused on people, identifiers that have been pushed further to the margins throughout history. Because it's so big and there are so many different identifiers and things of that nature, that there does come time where we say in these moments and in these ways, we are going to focus on and then you fill in the blank. Because historically speaking... There are groups who have been pushed to the margins more than others. And I think that sometimes we do need to make very tough decisions in that way. 
You know, I really love how you say it. I like this pushed to the margins visual because it does give me more of a visual than the term that seems to get used a lot, this underrepresented. Because depending on who you are, anyone can be underrepresented depending on where they live, the decade we're talking about. So I like this push to the margins. If people truly are on the margins, and I think we can, in whatever community you're in and what are the values and mores of that community, each community can do that assessment. And these programs, I agree with you, can be definitely a strength in a proactive way to bring people out of the margins, whether it's the center or just into the fold, right? How do we all jump on that bandwagon? Because I think what's happened with some of these programs is they do, I agree with some of the critics, that in some places they do get discriminatory against others who aren't in those quote-unquote underrepresented groups? There are definitely some isolated situations where there are unintended outcomes and consequences. I think one thing that's important, and this is so very hard because of social media and, you know, folks can say all kinds of things that are untrue. I do think, though, that for those who are interested in a productive conversation, we can bring this to light and say, yeah, there have been some instances where things have happened and it's been discriminatory practices against one group in service of another group or in the idea of service for another group. And it's not that common. It's not like there has been a system design that is saying, all right, now we're going to nitpick on white men or pick your group, right? For those who are willing to have the productive conversation, because there's a lot that are not. And I think those are the folks that we really need to focus in on. And also, I think we need to be letting folks know that the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion is not this zero-sum game where it's to suggest, oh, if they have, then I don't. And that's not actually the case. There's plenty to go around. Everybody can win. When we think about it, even in terms of the future of the country and really the world, I mean, this is a worldwide phenomenon that's happening. For sure. Let's just talk about the United States for now. The country is getting younger and the country is changing racially. And so if we simply focus on those two things, we need to be thinking about the future. And if we're going to be in productivity mode as far as a, just a company trying to survive, they need to be aware of those demographic shifts and start to be thinking about what does the future workforce literally look like and what is the future workforce looking for? I mean, that's just financial, right? That is financial. <laughs> and I love to future cast no matter what we're talking about. I love future casting. And there will come a day where whatever we might think of right now as the white majority will not be the white majority. And there are so many multicultural or mixed, however you want to term it, households, people that don't fit into just one box. So this is a complete global topic, completely global topic. It's happening everywhere in different spaces. Would you say, though, as long as you know many places are going to continue to have DEI programs, would you say there are benchmarks of successful programs? There are some ways to start to measure everything from engagement surveys in an organization and really disaggregating the data. So you need to be looking across what area of your organization folks are working in and what satisfaction looks like there. You need to be disaggregating across race. You need to be disaggregating across age, gender, so on and so forth. And you will start to notice that in some areas of our organization, we notice higher satisfaction across the board. We notice higher satisfaction for some demographics and not others. And so when you start to benchmark, 
and you disaggregate that data, you'll start to be able to say, all right, now what does it look like in three years? And then you can start to identify what are we doing differently and what can we continue to do? That's really, really important. Now, I will also say, it's very important to be careful with measurement too, because you can't simply say, we're gonna diversify our workforce in this way by this percentage, because you're gonna get sued. Be conscious of that as well. And the other piece of that is, it's actually not hard to diversify a workforce. You go find people and you hire them. The harder part, and this is where that measurement comes in that you're talking about, is are they staying with us? Because if they're not staying with us, you're actually wasting a whole lot of money. And that's an engagement issue. Correct. That's a culture issue. That's right. Culture is so important. So I do work with, as you know, corporate executives, corporate board advising, and some of the best practices for corporate boards is they are looking to diversify their membership, to have a skills matrix, to really say, what does this corporate board need in order for the corporation to thrive, whether it's a public or uh, a private corporation? And the best practices there are to look at the skills matrix and to find and select based on that. And it's a bonus if we then find board members who also fit into what could be considered racially diverse or gender or sexual orientation, what have you. Do you think we're ever going to come to a day or how far off could it be if we dream right now in Futurecast that companies can really be more in that skills matrix place versus even the DEI terminology. Every organization I work with is to work myself out of a job. And a lot of people can't, they're like, wait, you're doing what? That's my goal. I no longer wanna be with you. The answer to your question is, I think that with intentionality and with understanding that if we take a chance and we put a woman on our board and it goes horribly, it does not mean that we should not have women on our board. And maybe that was the wrong woman. Correct, right? You didn't do a good because enough job interviewing. Exactly, because yeah. there very much is a mentality that I've noticed, which is like, we tried, and look what happened. But we never say that like, oh, we tried with a man, we're never going to try that again. No, that doesn't happen, <laughs> exactly. right? And so my hope is that we will have those failures, we will continue to try, we will be intentional about widening that pool of people that are coming, that we are seeking, and then eventually it'll become second nature. That is something I would love uh, to see yet in my lifetime. Getting back to why we first started talking about this, th these laws are happening in public universities and colleges. So we have a whole private system out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know how successful or if it will become like a nationwide thing, although there are bills in about 30 states right now. So what can we do as a country? I'm just talking about the United States right now. We have public entities that are much more beholden to federal law because they're public entities or constitutional issues. I'm not saying private entities aren't, but they have a little more choice. So how do we make an alignment around when it comes to the institution, regardless of what type of institution it is? A lot of this does come back to the conversation that we were having a little bit ago, which is to really demystify some of this, I think is really important. When you're talking about higher education, academic freedom is the cornerstone of higher education. We're starting to say we are going to create laws that could potentially take away academic freedom. A major thing that is important here is to really start to identify very clearly what that could mean for the future. And a group of people are saying, we don't want you to have DEI programs. We don't want you to have certain textbooks and things like that. We need to make it very clear what that could look like 
if someone else is in office. And so then now all of a sudden you're saying, all right, we're not going to teach the Second Amendment. Right? So these have to be consistent regardless of who the office holder is Correct. for any decade, for any generation. Correct. And that's where if we start to say, I understand you don't want these programs. I disagree with you. And if you go that route, you're also opening the door for someone to take it in a different direction. Right. And so really being thoughtful about that, I think, is important, too, because that is very much what we could end up having as we go forward. And that, to me, is very scary. Right. And that opens up the door to many more crises. Right. Well, I always like to end on a positive note, Abdul. So what is some, I guess, great info from the field maybe you could share with us? What is some of the progress that's happening? You're in the trenches with this. A few things. We had this huge shock to the system in 2020. Everybody found out things or learned new things that they were unaware of or unwilling to learn at some point in their lives. And then it was, whoa. And so we had a pretty big shift to everybody is about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It has mellowed, which I think is natural anytime you have a shock to the system. What we're starting to see is we are noticing that there are a lot of organizations that said it has calmed, the shock has gone down, and now we feel like we can really get to work. There are some who have lost significant steam. Hopefully they'll come back around. What I am seeing is more organizations, and this is something that I eventually got into the luxury as I built my business to start be a little more forceful in clients that I took on and what I was asking them to do. Very intentional. Yes. What we are starting to see, or I'm starting to see more of now with the folks that I'm partnering with and working with is they are identifying and recognizing that we cannot do these one-off trainings. And that's something that in 2019, I started saying to organizations, what are you doing when I'm not there? Because if you have some stuff going on, cool. I'll come deliver some education, what have you. If you don't, let me help you. There are more organizations that are being intentional about we have to do other things aside from bringing in Abdul or someone else for two hours a year, delivering this content, and then going away. It has to be built into the fabric of the organization, very much into the psyche so that it becomes part of the culture. Thank you, Dr. Abdul Amari, a thought leader in the inclusion and equity space and a valued member of my crisis squad. Today's Crisis Brief is brought to you by Proof Alliance. Number one, evaluate your own program if you have one. Is it adding value? Have actionable and measurable goals. Number two, Inclusion and equity is not a two-hour seminar once a year. These topics should get woven into the fabric of your organization. Number three, trust matters. Take time to gather the facts and be intentional about the sources from where you get information. We all want babies to be healthy and have the best start possible. Avoiding alcohol while pregnant or trying to become pregnant is the first and most crucial step. Want to do more to support healthy babies? Get to know Proof Alliance. Visit proofalliance.org. Thank you to our podcast producer, Kim Inslee, and audio engineer, Tom Hamilton. Catch up on all case files at thecrisisfiles.com for the show archive plus special videos. Subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Crisis Files. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help with your specific need. 
I'm Roshini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.